Salutations and welcome to another episode of the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast. My name is Kendra Hale and I'll be your host for episode 17. Today we're discussing season 2, episode 4, uh, which is Thawing Hearts. Now, a quick disclaimer, if you are too young to watch Harley Quinn, you are much too young to listen to this episode. We have plenty of other options that you can listen to that include the Spinner Rack, um, the DCN News Podcast, but for this one, you are much too young, so go ahead and step away from it now. Disclaimer given, I am joined this evening by my co-host, Seth Singleton. Hello, everyone. And Brad Filicky. Hey, everybody. All right. Now, in the last episode, we got to watch as our lovely crew plus Catwoman got Firefly's gun. And in the beginning of this one, equipped with Firefly's gun, Harley, King Shark, and Dr. Psycho um, are trying to break in to Mr. Freeze, who is basically next on the death list for Harley. What did you guys think about our lovely... Vaginal wall tunnel <laughs> in two freaks. Oh man, who's it going to first? <laughs> uh, let's start with you, Seth. <laughs> right. Well, for starters, it's a human vagina because we needed to make that clear to King Shark, which was just a great moment for him to be like, "Oh, it's a human vagina." Because Harley was really clear, it's a vagina. Dicks are sexist, and I, I sort of love that opening to this. Like, wow. And let's just dive in further with Dr. Psycho's, you know, okay, Georgia O'Keefe, <laughs> which was awesome. And then Clayfaces reminds me of my mother. They're just There were so many of these great moments, but they all set us up for Harley charging us in with, let's get this freezer burned dickhead, which she's talking about Mr. Freeze. I, I loved all these great little just moments and this feeling of like, you know, she's going to carve something that some people might go, what'd you just do? And her thought is, uh, why shouldn't I? Dicks are sexist. Brad, how about you? <laughs> yeah, I, I like the uh, little Georgia, Georgia O'Keefe reference thrown in there. That uh, that was the icing on the cake. And I think I would have loved to have been in the studio to uh, watch him, uh, Ray Funks, or was, was his name, or Ron uh, Fuchs, record the line, oh, a human vagina. <laughs> Um, <laughs> like, especially if nobody else there knew exactly what was going on in the episode. <laughs> <laughs> you just hear him say that one line. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, this was a uh, a quick, funny, punchy start, kind of like we had with last episode. Kendra? All right, and I, I love that about it, because it leads to where we go next, which is, of course... Um, the answer to the cliffhanger that was the last episode, which was, was Ivy really going to say yes to Kite Man when he proposed? And we get that answer thanks to Clayface, who tells everyone to check their social media because it has gone live now that she said yes. Which leads us to this whole discussion about wedding etiquette and the fact that you can't go by yourself that you have to bring someone with you, but then if you bring someone with you, then that makes it more serious. Now, Clayface gave us a great line here, and this is the question I pose to both of you. Clayface says, it's not who I will be bringing, but who I will be. So my question for you both is, who would you be and who are you bringing? Seth, we'll start with you. We're, we're talking about Ivy's wedding, right? Or just a wedding in general? Correct. Let, let's stick okay. with the... The Harley Quinn verse. Who are you going to be and who you bring into Ivy's wedding? Ooh, that's a good one, Kendra. I like this. This is fun. It's a little dark, but it's twisted, and it gives me a chance to be someone. I, ooh, you know what? I want to go ahead and pop up. I want to be, which I want to see in this show, I want to be the black mask of this universe. Um, I want to feel a little dramatic. but if we're going with characters we've already seen, then because and it's just a good it's just a good look for me. And I think if I'm if I'm going as Bane, I want someone who's who's going to try and like, you know, lift me up, but not at all in a positive way. So I'm bringing Queen of Fables because 
God damn it. Uh, you know, at some point, if shit gets ugly and I'm just tired of being fucked with and I'm just like, Wah! then blind mice it. And God knows from what I've described so far, blind mice be afraid. Brad, how about you? Uh, you stole mine. I was going to be Bane, too. Uh, but I think I would, <laughs> I, would, uh, I, would, I, I would bring, uh, what was it, Todd from the Razzy Dazzy shop so I could try to blow him up again. Bring a little fun. <laughs> <Razzy to it>. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I think that's uh, that would be my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I love these answers. I knew that I was going to get funny ones when I when I asked it because mine I would I don't I think I'd be Tabitha with uh, with King Shark because I just want to hear him say something anything condescending to Doctor Psycho. <laughs> because he's been brilliant for these one-liners and we get one here that is an absolute gem because he looks at him and he's like you're a vile pocket-sized man <laughs> i would lose it <laughs> the only thing that i think comes close to topping that is when clayface is talking about his character that he's thinking of having go and he's like and by the way she is down to clown Uh-oh. which was a <laughs> phrase that i i did not put in my pocketbook and i need to now down to clown <laughs> Uh, you stole mine again. I was going to. Ah, I'm sorry. Okay, you know what? Uh, yeah. But um, me on. <laughs> jumping ahead, I did love uh, um, the line about uh, Dr. Psycho's nuts. He says they're the size of uh, uh, Dippin' Dots. Yes. <laughs> Is that not a normal occurrence for you? <laughs> that was a brilliant interchange. And it makes me like. That's, that's what I look forward to every episode is how they're going to like put that subtly in there because every episode you have at least one person who says something to Dr. Psycho and it's always about his height or about, you know, his proportion. <laughs> what I love though, is that when they announce the wedding, it's Psycho who's like, ah, he could have done better. Like he clearly thinks that right. getting Everybody else thinks Ivy's like the hottest, greatest thing ever. And he's like, man, he could do better. (laughs) (laughs) No, but but moving along a little, just a little bit, just a smidge, a skosh. We get Mr. Freeze's entrance, which elicits the best reactions from (laughs) King Shark and Clayface, who do not believe that that's who's coming up. And... I'll leave that to you guys, but I also have a question for you because they had this plan that used Dr. Freeze and because of brain freeze, because he didn't bring a jacket, (laughs) it doesn't work. So how would you be the freeze ray? Because he's kind of in, in this episode, Dr. Freeze, actually in the whole of the series, he's kind of the OP boss at the end of the game that you're not meant to beat for like 20 times of trying until you figure out every nook, cranny, and trick. So how would you guys beat Dr. Freeze? Seth, how about you? Hmm. Thermos of hot cocoa. <laughs> Not only would I chug a giant slug of it as I, but right before I charge towards him, but like hold some in my mouth, but also I would be like flinging it out in front of me in like a barrage of like, yeah! Um, which would go horribly because I sound exactly like Clayface when he tried to do something like that. And it, it wouldn't go well for me, but like he said, and this one at least is kind of glorious. However, never underestimate the possibility that my body temperature can reach really extreme beyond human levels with the right amount of coffee and hot cocoa. Maybe it should be mocha. Brad, how about you? See, I, this is a little unimaginative, but honestly, I would have saved the fuel from the flamethrower. I wouldn't have made a, a, a whole human vagina. I just would have burned enough to get in so that I would have the flamethrower to attack him. Honestly, that's just, that seems the most <laughs> obvious general way to do it. You know, but they suggested that, and Harley was like, I'm not sacrificing my, for my art, motherfuckers. Like, yeah. no way, yo. <laughs> <laughs> and can, can I just say that I think we should all pronounce it Lady Gaga from now on? <laughs> Lady Gaga. <laughs> Alan Tunnick, I swear, there must be some just like you know, putting these together as a mixtape and just like having the most fun with people. Like here, there, no, 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 that's me. I get to paid for that shit. Money, bitches. Money. 
every time we watch these, because I know this isn't the first watch for all of us, but that line where King Shark is, oh my god, it's Beyonce! Every time. I lose, I lose my shit for a good time. I have to pause it, because I, I can't take notes when I'm giggling. Every time, it's so hilarious, and it just, it's the wonder of the show, because it makes you wonder how these two have ever been, been seen as villains until you see them nom through a guard or a goon. Oh, goodness. But <laughs> we finally get a shift after uh, after we get Mr. Freeze, Mr. Freeze on the scene, and we get to see uh, Kite Man. And not only do we meet Kite Man and them getting ready to check out a wedding venue, but we also get to meet <laughs> Kite Man's nemesis, uh, who is Condiment King. So I knew about Condiment King before this episode, and I, I also knew that he wasn't held in the highest of regard, which is proven. Did you guys know of this character, Seth? Yes, I did. I'm trying to think where I saw him first, but there's always been these f- sort of fun references to him at times in the more kind of slapstick side of DC. You know what I mean? There's, there's, uh, For me, it always goes back to, I think, the Justice League um from back in the late 80s early 90s you know that that just really fun bwahaha um so that's where i feel like but i I can't say for certain when actually the first time i'd heard about him was how about you brad i have heard of the character before and i think it was uh if you if you remember uh they had what was like this kind of like index of characters that they published called who's who in the dc universe oh yeah and actually, they're they're reprinting it in an omnibus uh, in an omnibus edition uh, this December. But I think that's where I first encountered the character, and I always thought it was you know kind of silly. And I was like, this can't be real, can it? But yeah, sure enough, it, uh, he he did fight Batman. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think in my head I was like, was he an ambush bug character? Was that a um. Yeah, uh, but if dude, if he wasn't, he should have been it because, oh man, that, that you're taking me back with Ambush Bug, man. I love <laughs> Ambush Bug. Who's Who was a great thing that I remember just sort of seeing, um, like, but I only came across it in like antique stores or something. It was never something that was on the comic book stands when I was going to shops. Oh man, thanks. Oh, you guys are so young. <laughs> I, I, know, I remember buying I, that in I the know. store, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, man, that's awesome. Kendra, thanks for the little trip down memory lane with that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's hard not to when you meet him in this one. And I got to say off the bat, he's annoying. Like, But I know he's supposed to be. Like, he's supposed to be this annoying character, and they, they made him live up to that. So I'm fully fine so far with how they've brought him in. <laughs> but uh, we get to move a little bit, and Freeze is now unfrozen the gang he tells them not to to whine like petulant children because he has no intention of murdering them and we also find out that freeze would not love this this cast because cursing to him is the crutch of the illiterate so (laughs) i took a little offense for that when i was like damn you wouldn't like our show (laughs) (laughs) but he he shows us what he's been doing with nora and it kind of draws from a little bit from canon because Nora always had this very rare disease, um, but we get <laughs> we get rats brought into the show yet again. So Rodent family gets to come in because he explains that he's been doing experiments to try to help Nora, and <laughs> Harley is going to be the first to be tested on human to see if that is the difference that makes everything all right. <laughs> so if this were you guys. <laughs> <laughs> would you throw Ivy under the bus as your friendly, you know, best friend biochemist? Or would you find a different way to talk Mr. Freeze out of sticking you with the the cure? Seth? Well, honestly, actually, this reminds me of something that a friend of mine would do. And I've named him on this show sometimes. And I'm, I'm just going to reference him as that friend you all now know. Um, because I remember like, so did you guys ever have Saturday school? Like in high school, like if you had detention or yeah. something, they'd make you come uh, on a Saturday. Um, so it's a fun concept at the school where I went to. And I, he was always ditching in this and that, especially by senior year. 
And one day there's a knock at my door at like 8.05 on a Saturday morning and I'm trying to sleep in because I'm a high school kid and just fuck you for waking me up any earlier than that. And he's there with a gas can in need of five bucks and a ride to go get gas. And I'm like, dude, you why is it like you have no problem hanging me out to dry whenever your life goes to shit or you can't plan for, you know, and he just sort of give you that big toothy grin like, ain't I a cheeky asshole? Like, you're like, why does this fuck? So I kind of see like that would be the thing that would flip on me. I don't think I because I've been that I probably wouldn't like try and hang someone else out to drive. But I do remember my fight club and I would probably want to be Brad Pitt when he gets the mob guy to start beating the shit out of his face and the blood's everywhere. And then he pulls himself up on him and he's like, you don't know where I've been. Like I'd really try and convince Freeze like, no, no, I've got like some horrible disease it won't work on me <laughs> like you don't want to test it on me i'm but then the, the problem is he's already described clayface as a dirt thing or a dirt man and and dr psycho as a aged man child so i know it's going to be a tough sell but probably that would be like the first thing like i have some horrible condition that you don't want and you can't test it on me because it's going to skew your results you need a healthy human we should find one, and then maybe we could go out in like a windowless van or something. Brad, how about you? <laughs> I think in this this instance, I probably would, because I, I would think of all the people that she would know that uh, Ivy would be the one that could possibly save the day, whether it's through her knowledge of biology and science or just her you know her regular ability to save the day so i think that uh, instinctually i I would i would definitely think of ivy and i just kind of i for you know the first time that i watched it i didn't notice the translation of the two living rats when they see all the dead rats that he says cheese and crackers and i just and that just made it it was like one of those simple flash things that the show does that it's just real quick and done it just made me just made me laugh so hard uh, on the rewatching for the for uh, for the podcast i wasn't gonna take that line away from you man i knew yeah. that one was there i was like no way but do you remember what the second line is when they realize that they're gonna test on human subjects it's probably the best like Kendra, you got it? We're saved! Yeah. <laughs> and, and for my childhood, that took me all the way back to the mice from Voltron. So in that moment, they were like the little mice from Voltron, who you can't really totally understand, but communicate in some way. <laughs> oh, yeah. Right? And for me, that was like that, we're saved! Oh, God. I, oh, fuck. That was awesome. Thanks, babe. You know what it reminded me of? It reminded me of the mice from Babe. Yeah. The ones okay. that would come in on the in-between yeah. and be yeah. narrator for the beginning of the chapters. <laughs> yep. I was like, all right. <laughs> the very next day. Boom, boom. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. Now I got to watch Babe again. <laughs> That's right. This 30-mouth motherfucker likes Babe. I am ashamed of it. It's hilarious. Baram you. Come on. Baram you. Done. They used that shit on X-Files, for God's sake. The moment they had Scully do that, I knew we had totally crossed over everything. When she's, like, there with them, Barham, you, I was like, really? Okay, Scully. Okay, (laughs) X-Files has jumped its own shark. Fuck yeah. (laughs) Randoms have officially joined. (laughs) (laughs) They're in it. Oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> all right Kendra get us back on track where are we at what the fuck well now following that you know Freeze listens to her and he's like alright you can get a hold of Ivy and Harley he's like I'm gonna make you guys lunch so he goes off to make lunch and our crew is sitting there with Harley saying fuck no we're not doing that we're gonna get his ray gun <laughs> we're gonna freeze him And it moves forward to her starting to make assumptions about not only herself being frozen, but that he must have a fetish, Mr. Freeze, for doing that to women. So, of course, Nora is in danger as well. Um, Let's see here. And we get to move a little bit further after that because we get a pause while he's making lunch. 
And Kite Man and Ivy have already gotten to the old Gotham Corn Factory, which apparently in Gotham is the place to be when you're getting we getting wed. It is the place for marriages to happen. But they arrived to find out that Condiment King and his, I'm, you guys can't see them, obviously, but I'm doing air quotes, his girlfriend. <laughs> but they're already there waiting to be seen for the wedding venue. And it is in this moment that I actually have to give respect to Condiment King. Because how evil do you have to be to try and sabotage somebody's wedding venue when you know that they want to be married there? That's straight evil villain. What do you guys <laughs> think, Seth? <laughs> Oh, that's totally evil. That's just malicious. You know what I mean? Like, at that point, you're just trying to be, like, just the dirtiest, stinkiest little fucker. Like, you know, and clearly he is. And then that suit stain moment, like, that was such a... That's, like, one of those things, like, why do you have blood on your face? You're like, what are you talking... Bam! Ow! Hey! <laughs> like, that was such a dick move. Um, and And it was just... It was kind of funny because up until this moment, you know, while we've been having these moments with Freeze, you know, Harley's clearly set on the fact that he's just a creep. And when Nora comes out, you know, there, there's a moment where you're like, wow, this is a bit freaky. But then there's also this part of him which is like fully aware that he's doing bad things. But he's like, you know, my wife's got something terminal, which is sad. And so he's just kind of this, you know, so you've seen this broken guy and you're sort of like empathetic. And then you get over to Condiment King, and you're just like, never mind, fuck the empathy, we're back on Mad Love, this guy's a dickhead. Like, not only does he show up with the girl, but then he ruins the suit, and then <laughs> it's like so well set up that he ruins Kite Man's suit with the the uh, the mess. Oh, and, and fucking Kite Man with his ranch-loving ass insult, which was just too clutch. But, uh, you know, then he gets the uh, the gentleman who's showing the place to hand him off a handkerchief like, here, for your dirty suit. Like, it was so perfect to then, you know, set it up, call it out, and have somebody else confirm it. Like, clearly, Condiment King, he's a, you know what? I, I got a feeling if we go back and read that story, he probably did some really fucked up shit to the bat suit at that time. And, and I think that's just his M.O. Like... I'm going to annoy the shit out of you, and you're going to have messy clothes with stains you can't get out. Brad, how about you? Yeah, he's a he's a straight-up asshole. And <laughs> unfortunately, this this altercation left the score. Condiment King won, Kite Man zero. Um, you know, he, he just kind of felt sorry for Kite Man after this, especially, like you said, Seth, with that little uh, fix that so much from your suit line at the end. Yeah, and and such a you dick know, move. Yeah, <laughs> and really, you also brought up another good point too. Is is the contrast of you know in this episode of trying to set up uh, you know Freeze as somebody you can sympathize with, and he's always been kind of one of those villains that you do sympathize with. Contrasting to the Condiment King, who you just want to punch in the face. So it's just another example of why this show was so good, uh, Kendra. I agree. I want him to go back to Hidden Valley. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe run into the Jolly Green Giant. Ho, ho, ho. Right, Stomp like, on your ass, right? Something. No, but I mean, I, I love that you guys both brought that up because in this one, you really do get to see two calibers of, of villains because Kite Man really hasn't been seen, and I hate to say it this way, but he hasn't really been seen as a villainous villain ever. And for for you to see, you know, somebody who's technically considered an A-lister, you know, absolutely sympathetic. And then you see Condiment King, who is just a complete douche. Like, there's no better way to put it. He, he really Twice is. Twice on the D-list, yo. <laughs> yes, he for douche. So that would mean Kite Man's like K for Kite. And I think he'd be okay with that. Charlie Brown would love that. But... When we get past that part, because we, we actually get to go back and we get to see lunch being served by, by Mr. Freeze. And it's, it's a beautiful lunch. It looks like something that I would absolutely be like, all right, let's do this. But uh, Dr. Psycho gets questioned by Mr. Freeze about how his steak tastes. And we get a brilliant line about how it's some weird silence of the lamb shit. My question would be, if you were in Freeze's case, like in his shoes, where you could not have any warm food at all anymore what would be the one food you would miss seth oh that's good 
Okay, but I, I, I know it. There's a place in Oakland that makes one of the hands down, like the best burgers I have ever put my lips or teeth to. It is just so damn juicy. And they use this garlic aioli and it's got the right bun and it's greasy as shit. And it's just, I get this one, it's called the double up, two patties, grilled onions, medium rare, motherfucker. If I couldn't have that, I would be like, please just describe every seasoning you taste with every bite, please. And, you know, give me the chocolate peanut butter milkshake I always order because I can drink that shit. Um, <laughs> but that would probably be that. Or every once in a while, I've been lucky enough to get my hands on um, some Kobe or Wagyu beef. And that shit's like butter. Like just I would miss that. I'd probably try and eat it cold and I'd be happy cold with it. But yeah, a nice, hot, beautiful fucking burger from True Burger, a double up. That's that's a gorgeous thing to man. Oh, yeah. Describe it to me, Brad, before I turn this into like a porn podcast, like take it away. I would just say because most of the stuff I think that I could also learn to enjoy when it wasn't hot. Uh, but a good mac and cheese would be hard. I think so. I would go with uh, with a good mac and cheese. That's a good one. That one actually leads into mine because mine would be chicken carbonara. Anything that that is in the Italian pasta variety with a white sauce, I would cry because I wouldn't be able to eat it anymore. And you can't eat it cold. It doesn't taste right. But this little luncheon leads up to some really, really important plot points. And I love this because it's where we first start to see not only Freeze and Nora's side and what they consider to be a relationship, but you also get to see Harley kind of laying it all out there about how she feels about love and how she hasn't, we, we see she doesn't really have closure about what happened and what went down with her and drove her. Uh, Harley has a moment where she kind of lashes out and I get probably one of my favorite lines, both, both of them in this episode from Clayface and King Shark, where they look at her and they're like, you know what? I'm so sorry for what Joker's done to you because you, you can't be normal again. And I, I would really love to hear your guys' thoughts on that because it, it, it is, it's a really big glimpse into how Harley feels right now. So Seth, we'll start with you. Well, not only is it, but it, not only is it a great glimpse and an important one, but it's a great follow through because she was already sort of giving those warning signs early on when they first engage with uh, Freeze and they're talking about the wedding and her whole goal is to have a great time, get drunk, laugh it up and hook up with as many randos as possible. Like generally when you're just trying to hook up as much as possible, like I, I, my wife watches Forgetting Sarah Marshall enough. I've seen the scene where the guy gets dumped and all he does is sleep with a bunch of people. Like, you know what I mean? That's not a sign of somebody who's healthy, comfortable, or okay with being alone. It's somebody who is in a lot of pain. So that was sort of like my first tip. Like, wow, so you're just going to give it all away to whoever, everybody at the wedding? That's not a healthy thing to, you know, like have a frame of focus on it's good to have good healthy sex experiences but if your goal is to see what your numbers can be or as i've recently heard the term called body count which like totally fucked my head up i was like that's a what that that means for what that's a number term now oh okay so that that sort of felt like it but yeah this whole tear where she can't even see anything good about their love story like all she sees is he came in trashed everything about Nora's mom and pop, which I love the phrase, cryogenics company. Um, I wasn't aware that they were mom and pop like that, like a pizza shop. Um, and all she, all he did was come in and crush dreams because, again, he's that guy who's got a type and he likes freezing women and putting them in peril. So the, the fact that she seems to only be able to see this one way, and I felt the earlier signs, like, yeah, it, it's really clear that she's struggling not only with this moment and somebody who's got a very challenged relationship, but with the fact that her best friend and someone she genuinely, truly loves is getting married. And she's not OK with that. Whatever she might want to say to be supportive, she's giving the signs right now, like 
No, actually. Um, that sounds horrible because I'm so fucked up right now. There's no way a normal relationship sounds like anything good. I don't know what that is. My only version is damaged and fucked up. And she gives us all the hints to that. Brad, how about you? I think this is a subtly powerful moment in the series for what comes after. Uh, and I think it's very, t- and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to spoil the rest of the season, but uh, it's very telling that this is one of the, you know, before that moment, she was all happy go lucky about the wedding and excited about it. Um, and that's all I will say about that. But I do think that it's this uh, big realization for her. Uh, Kind of like, you know, just the idea the whole first season was her wanting to be in the Legion of Doom, only to find out that she didn't really want it after all, or it wasn't what it, you know she expected it to be. And I think this is kind of uh, a, a realization on uh, a relationship, a, you know, a romance, a romantic level of of what's going on in her head and in her life. Kendra? I love both of your answers brilliantly discussed i mean when the reason i brought it up is because you guys are right this is very indicative of the series where we get to see these deep moments with characters and this one is definitely a telling one for harley and as we'll see as we get further into the episode it isn't just harley that's going to be affected in this one Uh, maybe not dr psycho because all he's worried about currently are the spinach puffs but (laughs) spinach shit's good (laughs) But we find out that, you know, while while Dr. Freeze or Mr. Freeze is going to get the spinach puffs and to save them, that Clayface was able to be free this entire time. He was the <laughs> only one not trapped. I love when characters do this shit. And suddenly they're like moving around. They're like, oh, da, da, da. And everybody's like, what in the actual fuck? <laughs> right? He's just like, I'm eating my feelings. It, it, it's just a brilliant moment of him being able to move. I'm just like, okay, really? <laughs> but he gets he gets the gun for Harley, and when Mr. Freeze comes back, we have this moment where, you know, she's getting everybody else free, herself and King Shark, and then she, she goes off, and she's like, no, I'm going to save Nora, and she does something that we haven't seen very often, which is Nora gets unfrozen. And this one was a pretty, pretty big one. So, Seth, what did you think when you saw her unfreeze in Nora? So this time around, I, I've already seen it through and, and I kind of knew what to expect. But I'm going to be honest with you. Had, had anyone read the detective comic story that they had a little while back where Nora gets unfrozen and, and shit just gets really weird with Freeze and Nora? Did anyone follow that recently? I did mm. not. Okay. Uh, it, it, it got really interesting. It was just a, a fun story. It, 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 it was a really interesting parallel to everything else. I mean, cause the regular Batman title has just been like so much fucked up shit from, you know, the Bane storyline now into the Joker one. But there is this thing going on where like, not only did Nora get free, but she was really pissed. She was just like, dude, you asshole, you used me for this whole thing. And, and she basically was like, you know, fuck you. And then goes on her own sort of crime. And it was really sort of wild. So I, at the first time I saw this through, I thought, what do, what, what, what are we going to see? You know, is she going to be weak? Is she going to be powerful? And it, it was really just sort of like, you know, you had this feeling beforehand that that there was so much of it set up to go only one way. And, and the love story part, like, I mean, I forgot to mention it earlier, but... It stuck with me was the idea of like it was like a you've got mail sort of storyline that he was telling when they first met and the the mom and pop cryo thing. And then um, there was also sort of like the, the weird contra or contrast where she had the feeding tube, which was just a creepy sort of visual, like the way we get to see her experience. But then she gets unfrozen and we see her as this person who is longing for the moment to be reunited because she's like, hey. Now that I'm thawed, it must mean you found the cure and I'm not dying while the blood's leaking out of her nose. And in that moment, I realized, wow, okay, so we're not going to see this sort of vengeful or angry. What we are going to see is someone who is longing to be reunited with the, the man she loves. And the only reason that would be possible is if there's a cure. 
and that realization that now this is pretty much in Harley's lap. And because she could only look at this for one way, which was I love the fact that we set that up with this idea, you know, that we really discussed well about who she is now and how broken she is. She's now created a situation that she can't solve. And then Freeze has his own sort of ultimatum. So I, I love the fact that her own inability to see past the, the damage and how it messes with her lens in life is now creating a problem she's going to have to solve and hopefully learn from. Brad, how about you? Um, wow, Seth. <laughs> that went, I have to check out that, that uh, Detective comic story. Oh, um, shit, dude, really? Like, you, I, I seriously, I, you know, like, yeah, check it out. Check it out. Where the fuck, Steve? Steve, you got to get yeah, on right. this. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, dude, you got to check it out. It's it's pretty interesting take. Um, you know, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I did find it also. This is kind of an original take on Nora, and I kind of when she was thought out i didn't i mean i didn't know how she would react but i figured obviously what was going to happen was it turns out that yeah she was was really sick but you know yeah i mean i guess that could go either way i guess she could be could be angry but i don't know if that kind of anger would necessarily work with this freeze because this freeze seems uh in a way more relatable than most because this is kind of really the only real time we've spent with him and it is all been in kind of in his relation to to Nora and it is it, it's it's weird but it does still come from a place of love so um yeah I don't know if that made any sense <laughs> but uh Kendra what do you think well, there, there's a reason that this episode is my favorite, and it is because Mr. Freeze is all-time one of my favorite characters that was that, that came out of the Batman universe. I love his story. I love the dynamic. I love the fact that you can literally look at him and see him as an example of one of those villains who's typically seen as a villain in name only, but you see that if his paths had been different, he would never have been a villain. He would have been seen more as a as a hero, and he conducts himself as such in most stories that we actually see him in. And getting to see that in this, like once Harley Harley unfroze Nora, I remember I almost had almost like a one of those toxic fan reactions because I I looked at Ed when we were watching this the first time, and I said if something bad happens and they ruin Mister Freeze. <laughs> I'm not watching anymore. <laughs> That's totally fair, but I love the honesty. <laughs> yeah. I was, and it was just like, I, I didn't care how they presented Joker, although I fell in love with the way that they made him out to be the dick that he is. But when it came to Mr. Freeze, he was one of those characters where even in the newer continuity with uh, the White Knight, with uh, Sean Murphy doing the writing for him, you still see him as a good guy. And it's just, it's one of those that I love seeing his story in any iteration, even, even Arnie. I loved that Mr. Freeze. So Seth, you brought up that because of Harley kind of, you know, not thinking things through a little bit. Now they're in a situation where, you know, Mr. Freeze is like, okay, well, here we are. If your friend doesn't get here and, and save her, then I'm blowing us all sky high because at that point I don't have anything to live for so Ivy has to get involved and that's when we get to see her and Kite Man in the middle of trying to impress this venue owner the old Gotham corn factory owner seeing if they can make him choose them instead of condiment king and girlfriend ish thing this was one of those where I think this was another red flag for the viewers, especially those of us who know what's coming. Um, because she literally looks at her phone and she's like, oh, Harley doesn't, you know, call me 11 times unless it's an emergency. <laughs> and she just leaves. Like, there's no if ands, or buts. She just dips. She's gone. So what did you guys think about that? Was that one that threw up a red flag for you guys too, Seth? Oh, total red flag. Like, look, you're... Your wedding is the most un, one of the most uncertain times in your life. 
there's so many things you're juggling, whether it's family, whether it's friends, whether it's location, food. I mean, shit. We were a month out from our date and we lost our caterer. Like they just were like, oops, sorry. Yeah, it's not happening. And we were like, oh, shit. And it's so much pressure because you need everything to happen on the same day. And one of the first things you need is a place to go. And not only that, but like the whole episode is built up to how much Kite Man needs this, wants this, must have, and the lengths that it'll go to. And, and and how much he's getting just totally fucked with. So when she's like, oh, no, Harley, got to go. I was like, OK, so I don't know if you've noticed yet, buddy, but not only are you Mr. Ivy and that's cool because, hey, whatever your dynamic is, if it's love, fuck it, you're happy. But, you know, your partner just bailed on you and for somebody else. As far as I'm concerned, right now, that somebody else might be the person they should be marrying because if they're leaving you, like, what the fuck? I mean, actually, no, as the saying goes, what in the actual fuck? Uh, Brad, how about you? I, you know, I, I see where you're coming from, and I think that that would be the normal uh, reaction, but I, I almost saw it as her thinking that the relationship is on firm enough feet to know that kite man knows that if she has to go because of Harley, it must be serious because Ivy at the heart, Ivy is kind of like the one who wants to hold things together. Sometimes she might complain about it, but she likes to be that, that rock, that pillar that people can depend on. And if there's a time where uh, she's needed, she's going to be there. And Kite Man knows that. So he, she knows that he would be confident enough to say, you got to take care of this, babe. Do what you got to do kind of thing. Maybe that's just kind of an optimistic view on things. But that's that's kind of how I took it the first time and on the, the rewatches I did. So I don't know. I don't know. Kendra? Well, and, and I agree with both of you. I mean, this was this was definitely a red flag and a sign of things to come. So moving a little bit forward, we get to see Freeze actually reveal to Harley why he froze her. And I love the way that he explains it, because you, you get to hear his side of it finally as to why freezing her was the way to go. And now that Ivy's there, we also see that there may be a cure for Nora if Kite Man, who has been saying, um, this entire time to the venue, <laughs> the venue owner, can get to the greenhouse without any consequences. So what did you guys think on the whole, the whole scene of Kite Man getting to save the day? His theme music, the flowers, what did you guys think, Seth? Okay, so the the one thing that probably crushed it a little bit harder than the Kite Man scene, and it's good that it comes before so I can say it and then just move on. And Brad, if I'm fucking you over, man, I'm so sorry, brother. Like, <laughs> it's not my intention. But when King Shark says, holy shit, Harley, how did you just do this to the most woke ice villain? Like, that whole fucking line, was that your line, dude? Was that going to no, be your no, quote? No, no, but, that's, but okay. that's a good one. <laughs> All right, I was like, come on. Damn, I can't keep doing this all fucking show. Like, I'm I'm not, you know, I, I can be a dick 10% of the time on average, but I don't got to, like, double down on it just because. But, yeah, that moment when he's just, like, I mean, I love the whole CIS gendered phrase from him and then followed by King Shark, who's like, holy shit, Harley, you just fucked up the life of the most woke <laughs> ice villain ever. Like, ah! And you get that sense. You know, you get that feeling of, ah. Uh, and, I, and, you know, also just the fact that, you know, Harley tries to point out to Ivy, like, hey, you know, I, I didn't want to get you in the situation, but then I fucked up and, you know, I fucked it up again. And and poor Kite Man, I swear to God, him on the phone where he's like, so I want the reddish thingy. She's like, no, no, the reddish thingy is the, the paraplytic. And he's like, oh, paralytic, huh? Okay, so don't touch the red pink, which I definitely didn't touch. And I'm just going to get the purple one and I'll be on my way. 
I mean, yeah, the, the Kite Bat theme music was beautiful. Seeing him sort of like slump his way, you know, out of the, the house, the greenhouse, and dive off on his kite, which it's not a most majestic takeoff to begin with. And in this one, it just didn't look much better. Um, and that feeling of like, I mean, what you get from Kite Man is part of what you want to see also from Ivy. She needs him. He's like, I'm there, babe. And that's what she just did for Harley. Now, like, I I, I love a friend who knows, like, hey, my marriage is going to include taking care of my friends. It's great. But you see the real sacrifice from Ivy. You see the real sacrifice from Kite Man. Not really feeling the sacrifice as much from Harley. She's getting a lot of help, and that's good. She needs the help. But you see the real great qualities shine in these two. And, uh, man, Kite Man, I swear – that guy, you know, he's got a good heart. He's a good kid. You know, he's a mensch. Eh. Brad, how about you? Yeah, and maybe maybe his reaction and what he ends up doing in the episode to save the day, that's what helped me to not see those red flags because he was he was just still as willing, not a complaint, nothing. Even after Ivy left, he was willing to throw away everything and go chase after her to help her after she left to help someone else. So yeah, there's, there's something in this moment. That's so very the the essence of kite man and why we do kind of sympathize with him in these moments. Um, He's just, he's just kind of a good guy. He might be a little bit of a dude, bro, but he's at heart. He's just kind of a good guy. And he's in love. The shit we do for love. love. (laughs) (laughs) Kendra? Speaking of the shit we do for love, things are about to get a little heavy. So, Ivy has explained the cure, which results in an injection to Mr. Freeze, which will change his blood to the type that is Nora's. But in the process of doing this, after after everything has been said and done and a transfusion has happened, making her blood healthy again, he's going to be dead. He loses his life if he does this. And there's a little bit of levity to it because we get to see everybody's reaction because Clayface, King Shark, and even Psycho step up and they're like, this is bullshit because he's going to use us as the guinea pigs for this. I got to hand hand it to the show writers on this one because seeing Mr. Freeze's reaction to this sets up a whole new ball game. But first let's get thoughts from you guys. Seth, what did you feel when, who, whose side did you take? Were you on the side of the crew or were you fully aware that Mr. Freeze was going to take the sacrifice? I, I wasn't fully aware the first time through, like, you know, Freeze so far had shown uh, uh, how far he was willing to go, but the, the purpose had always been about reuniting with her. And suddenly in this moment, when we're watching everyone do something important for the one they love, he steps beyond that and says, if I'm going to you really like put my effort where I say it is, then what really matters to me is curing you and nothing's nothing's too high of a price to pay for that, which was a, a really noble moment. I did. Um, and I love the way it affects the rest of the, the crew afterwards. Like psycho's like, I'm feeling feelings, um, <laughs> which had to have been one of my favorite lines, you know, and the, the, the concept that suddenly expressed everyone, this is what a really powerful love looks like. Um, you know, I, I think I, I understood where the crew was at with that sense of like, hey, you know, we were going to go down if it wasn't for this. But but then suddenly seeing how, as far as Freeze is concerned, there's nothing more important than saving Nora's life. And his decision to prove that in the most visible way possible, the most concrete, uh, pretty powerful moment. Brad, how about you? Yeah, yeah. I, um... And his final sacrifice just drove home even more so to to Harley exactly how bad the Joker was. And it's it's, it's kind of a shame that the death of kind of a major Batman character in this show 
um, was kind of just to serve that purpose in a way. But um, it was I, I mean, I do think that that was another moment for her that was even more powerful, seeing him sacrifice. Joker would have just thrown her out of an airplane. He wouldn't have even done nothing to save her. He would have thrown her to to the wolves to save his own ass. And um, watching somebody give his life so that somebody so that his wife can live, that's gotta that's gotta really hit home for her. Uh, Kendra, I gotta say this was the moment, this scene right here, where I knew I would never be able to ever say anything bad about this show. Like this this entire sequence was when I knew that not only do these writers understand the characters and their motives, but when it needs to be real, they absolutely bring it to the table. I mean, you both touched on it. We get to see not only Dr. Psycho feel feelings, but I mean, Harley is like, the animation is gorgeous because we literally see her face go slack in shock. And she's just like, that's nothing like me and Mr. J had. And it, it's this beautiful moment of clarity where you get to see her finally understand that this is what love is. This is what it can be. And it's everyone in the room. And that's another reason why, like I said, Freeze is my favorite character of all time because he's able to elicit reactions like this. The moment where him and Nora are, are basically saying their goodbyes and they don't let them touch hands Guys, I lost it. I literally, like, I rewatched it before we did this, and I'm, I had to look away from the screen because I almost started crying. I was like, you know, that's all I wanted in that moment was for them to just be able to touch hands and say goodbye, and it was, they, they were not having it. There was no mercy for the fan base in this one, and that would have been my second, my second question would have been, when you guys saw that they weren't, gonna let them have a proper goodbye did it strike you guys as hard as it did me Seth yeah it really did it's it's powerful when a show can take what it it knows is the want we all feel and not give us the resolution we would like because they want us to feel all of the difficulty that comes with it and the real world, not full of resolutions the way we would like. I can think of way too many dramatic late teen, 20s, even early 30s moments, relationships, where what you want to work doesn't, and the frustration and the anguish and what it do, does to both people in the relationship and how when you see that, even in a fictional show, an animated show, and they give you that sense of, we know how hard it is. And in this moment, you're going to get to experience how hard it is as you've come to understand it, but also as these two characters experience it. Um, I, as I'm talking about this, I'm reminded of this show that it didn't get a lot of attention, but it was this really fun uh, Chicago cop and Mountie called Due South. And there's this great storyline in which the, the Mountie character, who's always so straight laced, is suddenly like enraptured by this woman from his past who it turns out is a criminal and he'd saved her life and then turned her in. And now she's back and she wants to destroy every foundation he has so she can force him to go on the run with her. And when he won't choose to do it, it's just this heartbreaking realization because not only is it against who he is. But there's that sort of recognition in his mind and you can see it in his face like I'm never going to get love ever that matches what I'm losing right now. And <sighs> there is no more heartbreaking feeling when you're in the midst of it. Life can change. Great things can come later. You can understand the moment for what it was with enough time. But in the moment, that heartache, that feeling, that loss it's tragic, and I love the fact that the reader, that the writers are like, "Sorry, guys, on this one we're not going to let you go," and that's where it gets fucked up, because we should. That's the point of fiction; it should give you that relief and that release. And sometimes you don't always get it when you think you should, the way you want, or in the time you feel you deserve. 
And that's okay because it means something better is coming down the road, you hope. But you also get that 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 feeling of heartache to hopefully make it that much more gratifying later or to give you that sense of remembrance of, hey, sometimes it takes a while for the resolution, whatever it might be, however it might feel in the moment to become stronger, better, greater. Uh, I, I really had to appreciate it for all those things. Brad, how about you? Yeah, uh, it, it did. Um, it, you know, it, it took me up in a way. Um, it, it was a very poignant, powerful moment. And it and thinking about it, talking about it with you guys, it, it does make it kind of hit home what, uh, like I said, subtly important um, episode this was to what happens later on in this season. And that's also kind of the, not only the benefit of discussion, but also the benefit of going back and rewatching things second third, you know, whatever time it, you, you do, because it, it does allow you to pick up, especially when you do know what is coming, it, uh, it changes the perspective. So yeah, this was just a very, very powerful moment. And there's just no doubt that that was not um, true, true love. And no doubt that that was probably the truest love that Harley has ever seen in her life. I mean, we've seen her relationship with her parents and things like that so and and with joker so we know it wasn't always rosy for her and and that that is another thing i think that resonates with her and and, and with this episode kendra thank you guys for answering those because i mean that this this there are some moments in this show that that are not easy to handle i mean and i don't think that they're honestly meant to be but it moves forward and, and we see Nora fully in grief mode and it becomes super awkward for the rest of the gang because you know, the enormity of, of her grief that she finally just tells them to get the fuck out <laughs> because they try their hardest to try and be comforting. And it's just, it, it's a wholly awkward scene, but it, it, after Nora has kicked them out, we switch over to a good moment between Ivy and Kite Man, who has finally said, you know what, if we don't get the wedding venue, fine. I'm fine with it. There's more to life than that. We'll, we'll, we're, it can be wherever, which is a great moment. And it's ruined <laughs> by Condiment King, who calls in to gloat over <laughs> winning the wedding venue. <laughs> and we get this lovely string of condiment-based insult. So my final question for this episode, is Condiment King our nemesis now too? Seth, what about you? Yeah, any motherfucker who tries to end a conversation with Tartar for now, it's like, oh no, oh no, no way, dude, no. Uh, I'm going to come down there and I'm going to ketchup packet and pickle packet and mustard packet yo ass. Like, come on, dude. Like, fuck you. Tartar for now. Dude, like, and there were so many more, so many worse. Uh, Condiment King. And and to do it from the place with the guy in the background, like, haha, yeah, it's true. I'm like, really? Like, wow. Okay. This is what they call keeping it classy with a K. Brad, how about you? <laughs> um, man, I, I, Nemesis, I mean, I don't want to give him that much credit, but, you know, you're, you're all right, Seth. He's a. He's a serious dick, but he seems like such more of an annoyance. But I guess, you know, stealing your wedding venue is a pretty big deal. So that would be enough to make him a nemesis. But, man, it's Condom King. And I can't help but notice, you know, that one of the jokes about superheroes in general is that, you know, oh, they wear their underwear on the outside of their pants. And Condom King actually does. If you look, it looks like he's wearing a pair of tidy whiteies <laughs> on the inside of his pants. And anybody who does that cannot be a true nemesis. It's got to be more of an annoyance than anything else. So I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but Condom <and> King. <laughs> I just love that you called him Condom King a moment ago. I was fucking oh, did I? Oh, oops. Yeah, you did. It was, did. It was awesome. <laughs> 
I'm like, that's a step up, again. dude. At least you're for the condom king. You kind of, you know, like Trojan man. Like he at least had a cult personality that turned into a commercial, like, <laughs> a radio series. Like, you know what I mean? Like condom slip. <laughs> that was awesome. Oh man. <laughs> oh, Kendra, save us. <laughs> All right, I don't know if I'd consider him nemesis either, but I I know that I would wish like a hex on his relationship with him and his girlfriend ever do use the venue. But I mean that that really con- concludes thawing hearts. Do you guys have any final thoughts, Seth? You know, it, probably the one thing that I love is that, and Steve, if you're out there, brother, this is for you, and I, I I'm gonna love to hear your thoughts as well, Kendra. But what I'm really caught by is the fact that it's two animated shows, Batman the Animated Series, which first told the lovely story, the, the heartbreaking romance side, I, I felt um, so well in the original Batman the Animated Series of Mr. Freeze. And now it's in the Harley Quinn that I feel we get two of the most poignant and and magical versions of Victor and Nora Freeze's story. And I love that it's from two animated shows that are, I mean, the first Batman the Animated Series is so iconic. But now Harley Quinn has created and has continued to create its own, uh, for lack of a better word, like iconography, its own, you know, um, ability to carve a position next to that and say, look, we know what the history is. And here's how you tell another great free story this is a, a beautiful love story and i feel like it pays homage to that animated story that preceded it brad how about you i agree so that i think that those that that was the it, like the animated series was an influence on this episode um and as far as final thoughts it just this episode kind of brings it home to me how good this show can be when it does try to get a little deeper and say a little more and it's so interesting and fun to watch a cartoon, an animated show, have really true arcs. Because you don't usually see that too much. And this is just a big reminder of that because this is a very important episode in what for Harley in what comes later. And just it's just nice. It's it just I love talking to you guys about the show because it just it really does help me to look at things in different perspectives and uh yeah I, I have a true better appreciation for this episode after after this discussion oh <laughs> <laughs> well i mean and i guess my my final thoughts would be this that i fully agree that batman the animated series definitely had a foothold here um that the episode you're referring to where we get to meet Nora and Victor for the first time had just as much of an impact as this one did. And I'm glad to see that while, yes, there is a hit list that Harley has of all of the, the members that came against her, I loved getting to see Penguin die the way he did. Riddler may maybe still alive but he is completely in a in a wheelhouse of his own right now and he's not really necessarily a threat wheelhouse <laughs> <laughs> like fucking beavis and butthead on the couch <laughs> she said wheel <laughs> house but i'm grateful that when when it came time for mr freeze to be dealt with that we not only got to see who he truly is but his death is his decision on his terms and it's done with pure love. And I like that they, they gave so much more meaning to his death than honestly any of the other ones aside from Ivy. So for me, Brava, this was a great episode. It is still hands down to this day, my favorite one that they've done. So I am, I am grateful that this was the one I got to host for this season. Makes me super happy. <laughs> but if you guys enjoyed listening to us, which I'm, I'm hoping you did if you're still listening to us, you can find this and other recordings on Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, iTunes, 
Uh, you can look us up on DCN and also on Dark Knight News. So Dark, DC Comic News and Dark Knight News. Those can be found on every social media platform from Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, um, Twitter. And my fellow colleagues, I appreciate you guys coming on and always giving a good discussion, deep thoughts, hilarious rants, quotes, everything. Your insights are always lovely and wonderful. Seth, where can everybody find you? Well, you can find me on DC Comics News, writing reviews. You can catch me hanging out with the crew on the DC Comics News Weekly Podcast, hosting the Spinner Rack, and for out there in the rest of the wide web world, go ahead and look for me one of two ways. Either type into a search engine, Seth Singleton Storyteller, or type in Storytelling with Seth, and then let's go from there. Brad, how about you? I uh, can find me writing news and reviews, DC Comics News. You can find me on the DC Comics News uh, podcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at FlickyB1. All right. And as for myself, I've been your host, Kendra Hale. I can be found on the Dark Knight News um, doing news and reviews, as well as here every week on the Mad Love Harley Quinn cast. Sometimes I get to join in on the DC News Network. Um you can find me on Twitter at DevourAllWords. And as we do our saying and close out, thank you for listening, and we've appreciated all of your support. So we'll sign off in our normal way, which is read more fucking comics. Hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. Two, one.